Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today it is coach Andrew and I talking about seven ways to maximize muscle, muscle growth beyond the gym. So we talked a lot about training and honestly, we're not even going to dig into the more basic principles of like, of course, we need to spend plenty of time eating plenty of calories, uh, sufficient protein, things of that nature. But again, some more overlooked aspects that often aren't considered, but really can be hurting your results. Um, and we wanted to discuss this because I think it's just so easy to forget these things and then kind of wonder why am I not making progress? Right. Um, I know I have this conversation with clients quite frequently, right. Where it's like, I push harder than the gym, but I just feel like crap, or I just feel like I'm not regressing how I would expect. And oftentimes it's these other variables that do make a pretty considerable difference. Some of these more than other, but they all will add up that can lead to specifically the things like sleep, right? Like that's, that's one that of course is very important. Not the most sexy one, but it does make a huge difference where I think I've so many times had the conversation, like, man, I don't feel good in the gym at all. Like, I feel like I was weaker today. I don't know what's going on. Or even like this entire week's been such a crappy week, right? Is there like something wrong with my uh, peri-workout nutrition? Do we need to change my strategy there? And it's like, hey, if we look at your sleep, we've been sleeping like five to six hours a night. That's probably where we start for anything else. But I think it's again, just so easy to get focused on if I train hard, hit my macros, I should see the results. And those are going to be very important variables, but there's a lot more that we need that we need to consider, right? So again, we're going to be digging into seven aspects that I think most commonly are overlooked when it comes to seeing the quickest possible results. Before we get into it, Andrea, anything else you wanted to add there? Yeah, I just think that this is going to be really helpful. We're, as all of the listeners know, really big on nailing down the the details, the stuff that people a lot of times will say, this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, where each one individually might not be like a huge dial mover. But whenever you start to look at how many of these like small, quote unquote, small details there are, it really adds up to be a huge difference in both your training quality, which obviously is going to make a huge difference in the amount of muscle that you build and your overall growth that you get from that training. Absolutely. And I think everyone, there's a progression and a lot of like the things that you'll see out there on social media as far as like, oh, we don't need to worry about all of these details. For a certain crowd, that's true. But I think that most of the clients we work with and most of the people who listen to this podcast are already past the point where it's like, we can just, again, kind of a like very high level, basic approach will still get us the results we want, right? Most people we work with want to take it to the next level. And these details are very important. So number one, very overlooked aspect that is really going to aid your muscle growth um, and your body composition change is hydration. Now, the hydration is one that comes up so frequently for me. And it's always interesting to me, like what a challenge it is for so many people. And it's off again, like I think most every client who starts with us, it's because I, I always ask you about check-ins on water intake. And it's incredibly rare that someone's really just nailing their water intake, be it like a coach or someone who is brand new to all of this. But it's important to understand that even being slightly dehydrated can hurt your training performance by a considerable amount. Um, so this is especially true for a lot of the people we work with, again, are typically training very early in the morning, right? So a lot of times it might just be like, maybe I just like slam some coffee on the way there and I train and that's it. If we're in that state, again, we're not going to be able to train. Our training quality is going to hurt, suffer. Our performance just isn't going to be as good. Um, and even things like your pumps won't be as good in the gym. So I really like the 2020 rule. Uh, I think I, I think that it was, 
I think it was actually I've heard it from Alex. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I think Alex is who I heard this from, but um Alex Bush um from Physique Development getting at least 20 ounces of water in before we go train in a situation like this and trying to drink at least 20 ounces during is a good rule of thumb here. Um, and again, just like having some water in your system that will really help your performance so much, but even similarly, if it's like we're training later in the day and we've just consumed less than about hundred ounces of water, it is going to cause your training performance to suffer. You won't feel as good in the gym. And that's again, like another one of the conversations I've had with clients where it's like, man, I just like didn't feel good in my training at all this week. And it's like, Hey, like if we look at your water intake, we're consistently way, way under where we need to be for you to feel your best. Right. So it's like, it's easy to, again, I think like be frustrated with why are things not changing? Why am I not feeling my best? I'm training hard. I'm hitting my macros, but there's so many other variables here again, that are easier to overlook. And water is like one of the least sexy ones, but same thing with, uh, digestion. Um, I had a couple clients this last week who were also like, um, previously were a little bit below their protein intake and it was, had ramped up their protein and like nailed the targets this week. And it's like, man, I think I'm a little bit constipated now because I'm eating so much protein. <laughs> it's funny though. Every time I, I see that come up, it's also always, Hey, actually no, your water intake was just super low. And that's, we, I didn't even like bring this back to digestion, but also for your digestion adequate hydration is a huge part of getting things moving through your system. Almost always like dehydration and constipation go hand in hand, but it's also important here more making this more specific to muscle growth. Um, hydration is more than just drinking adequate water, right? Uh, people think of just again, like hydration, water, have plenty of water. I should be hydrated, but it's really about the balance of several things. Um, sodium, potassium, and your water are going to be very important there. And so specifically here, I don't get too. I like like within our food selection throughout the week to make sure we have some good sources of potassium, but past that, I don't get too granular, but a lot of people, when they are focusing on like sodium is something that's really been demonized, but if you're eating a mostly whole foods diet, like most of our clients are, we need to be intentional about getting in enough sodium for most people. Right. And a lot of times people are underdoing it. And again, that will make a big difference in your overall hydration. So typically about a fourth teaspoon of salt per meal is a pretty good rule of thumb. And then specifically, uh, before we train, and if we have an intra drink, this can be like before slash during something like a fourth to a half teaspoon of pink salt pre slash intra workout can be extremely helpful here also to make sure that we are adequately hydrated. Again, that will really help your performance. That'll help your pumps in the gym. Um, so hydration, water, and sodium are both very important there. Um, anything else you want to add there before we move on? Um, no, because the, the next one that we're going to talk about is intra workout. And that just really kind of takes it away. Um, right after we talk about the sodium beforehand, because, um, staying hydrated before your session is very important, but then we want to continue that during the session. And there's also some other things that we can add and really the the purpose of this is just to set you up for um, a great training session. So really, whenever we're looking at how to build the most muscle possible, your training session is going to be the stimulus and your food is supplying the building materials. But also if we can um, set you up to have as good a performance as possible, then you get a better stimulus, a better signal to build. So um, 
the peri-workout nutrition is of course part of that. And we've talked about that a ton in other podcasts, but intra-workout is something that we don't talk about as often. Mm -hmm. Um, and so really with intra-workout, there are a few different components of it. And, um, I'll talk through each of those. And the biggest thing with these is giving you a little bit of extra energy boost and preventing you from getting that crash later onto the workout. And then also helping improve your muscular contraction. Um, I will really notice this on lower body days specifically. So you'll hear people say like, you don't really need carbs intra workout because with, um, hypertrophy training, you're not really utilizing carbohydrates as your energy source. Um, and it's just like a shorter workout than somebody with an endurance type session. So of course this isn't like a four hour long workout, but if you compare, especially, like I said, a lower body workout where it's just really, um, really intense, you're using large muscles. It's a lot of pain. (laughs) If you compare that with or without an intro workout drink, there is a difference there. Once you get toward the tail end of it and just the energy that you have to keep going. I just forgot my intro workout drink the other day on my lower body session. And the last two, um, the last two things of the day, one of them was an RDL. And I was like, man, I just feel so much more wiped out than I usually do. And then I remembered like, oh yeah, it's probably cause I've drank minimal water. Cause I didn't have my, my hydration with me. Um, and so I was having to like go to the high, the fountain and that's just not going to be enough. Um, and I didn't have the things that I normally am used to having in my workout drink. Um, so it does make a difference. So the components that um, we'll use sometimes within an intra workout drink first are going to be a carbohydrate source. So this could be um, Gatorade or something like highly branched cyclic dextrin. Um, most people, I recommend Gatorade just because it's so easy to grab from the grocery store. It's like one gram of powder is your one gram of carb. It's really available, but there is a very slight benefit to the highly branched cyclic dextrin. It just doesn't have to go through the digestive process as much, right? It'll, yeah, it'll be, it'll digest slightly quicker. It's very much like already pre-digested, which Gatorade is too. It's again, just a slight difference. And again, it will digest slightly quicker. Yeah. So if, if you want that, that slight of the highly branched cyclic dextrin that does, that is a little bit better um but it's also like probably you're talking about like probably like 30 to 40 dollars per 30 exactly. serving versus like five dollars <laughs> like for, serving yeah Gatorade for thing. like five dollars <laughs> so there is a pretty big cost difference there and i agree i don't think for most people it's worth it unless you are yeah someone who I um think and so whoops sorry you cut out there for a go second ahead. go ahead go ahead no go ahead Okay. Um, so, uh, your intra workout carbohydrate source is basically just like your quick energy. You're you just like, you just said, it's kind of pre-digested carbohydrate. You're not really having to like, let it sit in your GI and break down and give you energy hours later. It's like pretty much an immediate energy source. Um, and so it just keeps you going throughout the session. 
Um, and then also sodium and potassium. So this isn't somebody, something that I honestly use with a lot of people. I've, I've just started more recently using potassium myself. And so I'm implementing that with a couple of clients, but, um, having like a quarter of a teaspoon of sodium and an eighth of a teaspoon of potassium is a good balance of your you just do like no salt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or bulk supplements has potassium citrate too. Um, so either one of those works, but I just got no salt cause you can just get it yeah. at the grocery store. Um, so if you do, if you do that ratio, it balances your electrolytes really well. And so it's helps, it's helpful for hydration. Um, but also like we talked about for sodium beforehand, um, it helps improve your muscular contraction. It also mm-hmm. helps with uh, carbohydrate utilization. So like you're going to store um, those carbohydrates a little bit more effectively as glycogen. Am I saying that correctly? Yeah. Wording that well. Yeah. Um, so that is helpful. And then the last one that we'll throw in there sometimes is EAAs. So essential amino acids. And this basically prevents the breakdown of muscle tissue. It's like keep, keeping you in an anabolic uh, state while you are in uh, your workout. So if we go back to the um, analogy of laying the bricks versus taking the bricks down when we're mm-hmm. building up that brick wall, it's preventing you from pulling those those bricks down on your brick wall. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's like, I won't, when we're introducing an intra again, like the, your hydration and like, these are a finer details. So again, it depends on where mm-hmm. the client is at. This is very rarely like something that we'll add in immediately, but as someone gets more advanced, I will almost always add in an inter drink like this. And even like the things like the, like potassium isn't, I normally have just done sodium. I personally though do like a fourth teaspoon of the no salt. Also, you do want to be like careful with potassium supplementation, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's not, again, like I wouldn't recommend a huge dose by any means, but, um, and I would recommend doing your own research before you implement it. This isn't a prescription for anyone listening, but, um, then from there again, like the EAs, it will vary by client, like whether I will add that in or not. I personally like when someone's like at maintenance or in a surplus, I'm a lot less likely to now, but if you're someone like, Hey, maybe you are this is like a pre slash intra drink. Like you train first thing in the morning. And again, those EAAs will spike muscle protein synthesis because they're again, basically the same amino acids that we're getting from any other source of protein. Right. And again, that's like why we want protein to elevate muscle protein synthesis. Um, I will definitely use them there. I do you like when someone is in a fat loss phase, do you use intra workout drinks more frequently or less frequently? So in theory, I think they're better during a fat loss phase because you want to keep your performance in a good spot whenever you're not taking as many calories in. Mm -hmm. But in practice, I recommend them less because your adherence is always going to be the most important thing. And when we're using 20 grams of carbs or whatever during a training session, that's not going to be filling at all. And so then throughout the rest of the day, you have less actual food to chew (laughs) like 20 grams of carbs is a lot of like vegetables and blueberries and things like that. And so you're just going to be hungrier. So it depends a lot on the person, but that's, yeah. I mean, I technically do it the opposite of what I would say is optimal. Yeah. And it was like, if you were like prepping for a bodybuilding show, for example, probably most people 
we would and we're hey we're optimizing everything we want every last advantage we can because again that'll your training performance probably will be better with the intro workout drink in place and like maintaining that training performance is such an important part of maintaining that muscle tissue um but on the flip side again it varies a lot by person that's what again like i I think the effects of them are more noticeable for sure in a fat loss phase, like having an intro workout drink in place. But similarly, it'll vary a lot by client and like how hungry they are and kind of the uh, how hard it is for them to manage that. Because again, for some people, it's like, hey, we're just doing everything we can to like try to keep your hunger low with where we're at currently. And it's just not worth the trade off of us implementing this. Anything else to add there before we move on? Nope. All right. Next up. Is going to be one that's near and dear to my heart, managing mm-hmm. stimulant intake, which is, I think for a lot of people, a much bigger issue, myself included. This is always, I love, I love stimulants. I love my caffeine. So this is always like one that I have to be very intentional about. Um, but again, like most people, I, I, most people also love caffeine. We love our coffee, but the thing to understand is, and again, like, uh, Caffeine can be very beneficial pre-workout, right? It will help improve our, improve our training performance. But alongside that, a lot of people are overdoing it. Um, and the thing to understand is anytime we take a stimulant, it will put us in more of a fight or flight state, right? So if you look at your autonomic nervous system, um, basically we have a parasympathetic or rest and digest and sympathetic or fight or flight state, right? And those are kind of, as they sound, when we're in that fight or flight state, our body deprioritizes sending resources to things like hormone production, digestion, uh, building muscle tissue, because it basically wants to have this energy available for us to either fight or flee on the flip side where, when we're in this, uh, parasympathetic or rest and digest state, Again, then our body is kind of prioritizing, uh, repairing itself, recovering, et cetera. Now, no, no matter what, like when we're training, we probably should be in this fight or flight state, right? Like our cortisol levels are probably going to be a little bit higher. Um, we're pushing hard, but we want to outside of that really be able to prioritize recovery. Um, so again, if we're like constantly taking stimulants throughout the day outside of our training sessions, that will again, put us in more of that fight or flight state consistently. This is also going to elevate cortisol when we take in, um, stimulants. So again, like when I'm talking stimulants, think, think things like caffeine, uh, nicotine, Andrea, it's like always hitting the vape on the other (laughs) end. Um, but those will elevate your cortisol levels as well. Cortisol is a catabolic hormone, right? Its job is to break things down for energy. So that is going to be less than ideal. We want to be in an anabolic state more frequently, a catabolic state less frequently, Um, and then just like your total caffeine intake across the day, I would say for most people, like 300 milligrams or less is a pretty good rule of thumb. Um, and then also just drinking this later in the day, really, uh, this is hard for people to hear, but again, like anything after noon, like 12 PM for most people is going to disrupt your sleep. A lot of times people don't realize how much it's disrupting their sleep to have caffeine at like two or even noon for some people, like for honestly, for a lot of people, you don't like, you don't use caffeine at all. Do you? I have a little bit, I have a limit that I can have per day, <laughs> what is but that? I, it's 150 milligrams. So I try and just have like mostly decaf, but I also go to bed early. I go to bed at eight, usually trying to sleep by like eight fifteen, eight thirty. 830. Right. And right. so if I have any after like 10, I, I try and like, I try and make that my cutoff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's 
again, like that's a, most people don't realize how much it does actually impact their sleep until it's like, yeah. Hey, let's actually try just pulling this back to 10. No, I can go- have coffee and go right to sleep. Yeah. And, but it's like, but I wake up like six, seven times a night and we'll talk about sleep a little bit more as well, because I think that a lot of times people normalize things that people normalize with sleep aren't actually how your sleep should normally be. Um, so again, like around 300 milligrams a day per day or less, depending on the size of the individual for a lot of my clients, it's 200 milligrams. Um, and again, cutting off, cut off by noon at the latest for most people is a good rule of thumb. Now, one thing that can help here, if you are just for some reason in a position, I, I'm not saying I recommend this, but it is a very interesting supplement it is rutacarpine. I don't know if I'm even saying that correctly. Um, but it does help you metabolize caffeine quicker. So if you are in a situation where you're taking caffeine later in the day, now, again, I think it's, I don't want to recommend this because it's easy to like, kind of just look at it as like a get out of jail free card. And I don't know if it, <laughs> but it will help metabolize caffeine quicker. So very interesting supplement, but again, it's not really something that I recommend to clients because again, I think if it's like, Hey, why are we needing to take caffeine later in the day? then there's kind of another issue that we need to address in the first place. Anything else to add there before we move on? Um, yeah, I don't think so. That's just one thing that's so so easy to let it creep up over Mm -hmm. time. And so, um, I know you love the, the, um, analogy of the frog boiling in water. (laughs) Do I? last time i said it you were like i've never heard that before yeah i still don't feel like i've heard it (laughs) you put a a frog in a pot of water and you slowly turn up the heat until it's boiling they don't notice it everybody else in the world has heard that the listeners will know what i'm talking about okay okay anyway it's like such a slow creep up that you don't notice that it's having these disturbances and so Mm -hmm. if you do like look up and all of a sudden you're having 600 milligrams of caffeine per day which i've definitely seen on check-ins then um it's for sure having an impact on you whether you believe that or not Oh no, absolutely. And I would say like 600 milligrams a day for some people is like very moderate. I mean, mm-hmm. I know even like when I worked at, in the gyms and like, it was, it's funny to think like, again, in like 2015, 2016, like I didn't really grasp all this side of it yet. I really just knew a lot more about training, but I would, I would sleep like five hours a night and I would, I would probably had like 1200 plus milligrams of caffeine a day. It was crazy. <laughs> Um, and I always felt terrible in my training and I really struggled to build muscle during that time. So anyways, take us on to managing cardio and neat, which is going to be our next point here. Yeah. So it, I mean, most people would probably assume if you are trying to build the most amount of muscle possible, you probably don't want to have, um, like hour long cardio sessions every day. That seems pretty obvious, I think to most people, but we do start to see, especially steps creep up really, really high. Um, and, and that can have an impact. So with cardio, um, I, I don't think that people need to completely cut cardio out in order to build muscle. There's actually a lot of benefit to having some cardio in place, um, for heart health, of course, that's going to, it's always going to be, um, an improvement if you're more healthy, 
but um, you want to manage the total amount that you are doing so that it's not eating into your recovery resources. So um, I know that we've, we've talked about high energy flux before, and that is um, having a lot of calories coming in, but then also a high output. Um, but I, I think with trying to build muscle, there is a limit to how high you want to push that. So usually if somebody has steps creeping up over like 18, 17, 18,000 per day, then when we get into a building, um, that's where I will start to address that and say like, Hey, let's see how you feel whenever we pull this back to 14 to 15,000 per day at first. And then maybe we go to 12,000 to 14,000. Um, really, I don't think that there's a, a ton of benefit when you go above that, like 12 to 13,000 per day. Um, on your health. I know there was the, the recent study that had 14,000 per day, right? There were like linear improvements in health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we don't want them to be uh, super low either, but I will try to to work people's steps down to about, like I said, 12 to 13,000 yeah, per day. Same. And and I will always see a benefit to doing that in the, just how they feel overall. Um, when you're on your feet that much throughout the day, and then you're going and crushing a leg session, you're probably used to it at that point, but you are having, um, some fatigue that carries over into those sessions. And so, like I said, at the initial, um, point in this podcast, when we're looking at nutrition, everything is focused on how can we have the best session possible? It's very similar here. Like we are, we're wanting to manage other aspects of our movement to make sure that we're having the best session possible. So, um, with, with steps, like I said, 12 to 13 with cardio, I will usually try and, um, manage if they are starting out with a high cardio output, I'll try and manage that down to like two to three sessions of about 20 minutes per week. Um, personally, I think that that kind of maxes out the benefit that you get from it and isn't so much that it's hard to recover from. Um, with the types of cardio, usually I'll try and say like, Hey, let's do like a bike, like a spin bike or something of that nature. That's starting to get, I mean, kind of picky, but if somebody's doing a ton of running that, because it's like a lot of eccentric force usually has more fatigue carry over to, um, to like a leg day than something like a bike would. So, um, of course you want to match that output as well with, higher calorie intake. So if somebody is moving more, we're obviously going to bump up the overall calories that they're taking in to match that. So we're still in this case, usually in a slight surplus of calories for the day, just to make sure that we're, um, in a good place to build muscle. Did I, is there anything that you would add there with cardio? No, I think you nailed that. Um, we work with a lot of women who, uh, have for a very long time been focused on what can I possibly do to say the leanest that I possibly can. And oftentimes it's actually hurting your like long-term body composition progress, because like you said, specifically the high step counts where it's not abnormal to like have a client start with us consistently hitting like 18 to 20,000 steps per day. And it's like kind of scary oftentimes to let go of that. But it's again, we're just expending and it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing. 
but really i think like in most cases like even in a fat loss phase like anything past like 14 15k per day is like getting pretty high and I, it's like to some people that that sounds absurd but also if you're like someone who like has a treadmill desk like we do um or yeah. if it's just like part of your lifestyle um it can be very scary to let go of that right but there's a certain point where again our body can only like use so much energy from calories before we actually start breaking things down from energy as well and that like constant output can actually be detrimental to your ability to build muscles is very similarly again like of course we work with like of course we are like working with the same clients but within this like for a lot of like that type of person specifically where it is again very focused on oftentimes like it's a very stressed individual very focused on like a half hit 18k plus steps like i'm like it's scary to me to like let go of that titrating that down is very beneficial for overall body comp cool um so next up we have sleep uh again hydration and sleep two topics that are just like i think so boring for people to talk about but i would say really they're two that are so often neglected and like have a especially sleep like is probably your sleep is going to be i don't know if it's going to be incredibly hard to build a great body composition even if you're training in nutrition like even if you're going in and training like as hard as you can with what you have in the tank and your nutrition is dialed in if you are neglecting your sleep. And a study that I have referred a lot of my clients to, I bring this up constantly, is a recent study that they did on the amount of muscle versus fat that you lose, depending on how much sleep we're getting. Now, keep in mind, this is in an untrained population. So it will be different if we're resistance training. But basically in this study, they found that um, I don't remember what was this eight weeks, I think is how long it was, but basically through this time frame, they had people in an equal deficit and they had two groups. They had one group that slept on average seven hours and 25 minutes per night. And they had another group that lot that slept on average five hours and 14 minutes per night. Now the normal, the seven plus hour sleep group, they lost six and a half, 6.4 pounds total over this period. The sleep deprivation group lost 6.6 .6 pounds total over this period. So we would think, okay, pretty similar weight loss. In fact, the sleep deprivation group lost a little bit more. That said, the normal sleep period out of the out of that weight lost, 52% of it was muscle and 48% of it was fat. Now keep in mind they weren't resistance training. And this is also why you don't want to just like change your training to just focusing on burning calories because we are much more likely to lose muscle when we're deficit if we're not providing the stimulus, but you definitely wouldn't lose nearly that much muscle. But the group who was in the sleep deprivation period of that weight lost, only 20% of it was actual body fat. 80% was muscle. So again, keep in mind, they lost nearly the same amount of weight, almost exactly the same amount. But again, for the first group, it was about 50, 50 fat muscle. The second group, it was 80% muscle, 20% fat, right? So really like your body composition would probably look worse at the end of that weight loss where maintaining or building muscle is such a big part of improving your body comp. So just a huge point there to make with like in any phase, what a difference sleep makes. And that's so important for recovery, muscle growth, hormonal production, and things of that nature. Was there something you wanted to add there before we move on? I just wanted to reiterate the, the sleep deprivation group was six hours of sleep. Like <laughs> So many people would be like, ah, crushed it six hours last night. <laughs> so it, that's not that much sleep that you're missing out on that makes that big of a difference. 
Yeah. And that's, again, I think that it's super easy to hire a coach and like want the hack where it's like, I just need the right program or must be like my macros or am I not calorie cycling and try to avoid ever addressing the fact that you only sleep like five hours a night. And there's really not a way to get around it. Um, (laughs) as unfortunate as that is. So, and again, like so many people will like with their training, like, man, I feel terrible in my training. Why is it so bad this weekend? It's like, Hey, we got to look at that sleep. If it's like less than seven hours per night on average, probably just not going to feel our best. And here with sleep, both quantity and quality are important. So really when we're looking at someone's, when we're kind of troubleshooting uh, poor sleep with a client, I'll typically ask, hey, are you having trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, or both? Because typically the causes here can be different. So if you're having trouble falling asleep, it's most often caused by, hey, you're drinking caffeine too close to bedtime, or you might just be spending too much time doing stimulative activities in your bed before you're ready to go to bed, right? So um, say you're working from bed or you're spending a couple hours reading or watching TV or looking at your phone before you're ready to go to sleep. Really, like we train our brain to like associate these different areas with um, different activities, right? And if your brain is used to being stimulated when you're in bed, it's gonna be much harder for you to sleep there. So I always try to get the idea across to clients like, hey, we want to basically like the bed should be for sleep and sex. I don't, I'd normally, I, I never get super deep in people's sex lives, but <laughs> I throw out there. Um, but alongside that, just like we want to sleep, like it's basically just relegated to sleeping. Right. And we want to train our brain because we can also, again, kind of set up this trigger. It's like Pavlov's dogs, right. Where we get in bed. Okay. I'm tired and I'm ready to go to sleep. Um, but we can very much train that association. Now, if you're having trouble staying asleep, oftentimes it seems like um, it'll oftentimes seem like you're waking up because I have to use the bathroom. Right. So this might not just be like, oh my gosh, I wake up in the middle of the night and I don't know why, but it's like, I, I just wake up and I have to pee like three to four times a night. This is actually a super interesting one as well, because when we are in REM sleep, basically like our deep, our rapid eye movement sleep, um, your body will actually release more of an antidiuretic hormone which will basically mean you have to pee less if we're in that deep state of sleep. So if you're someone who is waking up a lot in the night and you have to pee and it's like, there's nothing wrong with my sleep. I just wake up a lot because I have to pee. It's actually probably a good sign that you're not getting into that deep sleep, like we should be. Um, so again, this is oftentimes a sign that we need to, again, like maybe it's your stimulant intake, maybe it's your stress management, et cetera, but we probably need to, again, address that because it's, it's pretty normalized. And it again, can seem like, Oh, there's nothing wrong with me or I'm like more sensitive to noises. Right. Again, probably a sign that we're not getting into that deep sleep. So here, I mean, we can also look at things like you shouldn't chug water before bed. I typically will instruct clients like, Hey, let's try to keep it to a minimum the last couple hours before bed. Um, but also alongside this, and again, like these two things oftentimes go hand in hand. If your water intake is reasonable, it's typically a stress issue, right? And again, it could be related to the stimulant intake. So we need to audit that. But um, again, like if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you feel like you're just wide awake, especially for most people is around like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Um, again, cortisol and stress is normally the issue. So cortisol, the stress hormone and melatonin, which is a hormone that aids in sleep kind of have an antagonist relationship. So basically how that works is early in the morning, our cortisol levels start to spike 
And this is what wakes us up now throughout the day, especially getting later in the evening, our cortisol levels will gradually drop. And later in the evening, our melatonin levels will start to increase as that cortisol really starts to drop. And that's kind of what puts us to sleep. And these kind of align with like, okay, sun coming up, or it's like the sun is about to rise. Cortisol should be spiking moon's coming up melatonin's the, of course, like there's some variability here, but again, like this is a kind of aligns with your, your circadian rhythm as a whole. Now, um, when we're looking at, again, you are someone where you are constantly just waking up in the middle of the night and you're feeling wide awake or that sleep quality is poor. Again, oftentimes this is a stress management thing that we need to focus on. And again, these are the type of things where it's like, I just want like a program in macros, right? I don't want to have to focus on this, but this is most often, I wouldn't say most often, but a lot of times the work that needs doing to get the results that you want. So here are things that can be very helpful and I won't get too deep into this, but can be like, Hey, before bed, let's journal. Just a brain dump is something that I found to be the single most helpful thing with most clients. Um, writing a to-do list for the next day, or if you're someone I know for a long time, I would like wake up in the middle of the night and I would just be thinking about everything that I had to do the next day. Or also be like content ideas that I had and I like couldn't stop thinking about it. And it's like, I don't want to forget this. So for the longest time, I would like keep a pen and paper by my bed and I would write my to-do list of everything that I needed to do for the next day. And then when I would wake up in the middle of the night, something like that would come to me. Okay, cool. I can just write it down. So I don't have to worry about forgetting to do this and go back to sleep. Meditation can also be helpful. Um, again, as mentioned, like your cortisol and melatonin and like the fluctuations of the two, those are very much tied into your circadian rhythm, which if your circadian rhythm is out of whack, then, um, that can create issues here. So it can be helpful to like, try to get sunlight exposure early in the, in the day and going for a walk first thing in the morning is a great way to do this. Um, avoiding blue lights from screens and bright overhead lights for the last one to two hours before bed, uh, blue light blockers can be helpful. The, uh, whatever the mode on your computer is called where it like is kind of an orangish, I don't remember. F. What, Lux is the, yeah, the, I was going to say Lux. Yeah. The F dot Lux filter can help. Um, room temperature is also important here. So, um, for most people, like if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you're hot, of course it sounds obvious, but most people just kind of avoid doing anything about it. I always turn our house down to 66. Um, I used to always turn our apartment down to 64, but Katie just is freezing out. I'll like, sometimes like wake up. We <laughs> I'll always turn it down to like 66 and she like has, our nest on her phone. And I think in the middle of the night, she like turns it back up and I'll wake up in the middle of the night, just sweating. And it's like, it's, some, it's up to 69 now. And like, it's, but anyways, for the best sleep conditions, and that might be different for you versus your partner, what that temperature needs to be, but typically think warm toes, cool nose. And then finally, as far as supplementation goes, um, magnesium, magnesium glycinate is something that is very helpful here typically something like 200 to 400 milligrams in the last couple hours before bed. Melatonin can also be helpful. Again, really helping that increase in melatonin levels, which will help aid you falling asleep. Um, even things like ashwagandha is another one that can oftentimes be very helpful. Again, I don't like magnesium is one that generally I like to like almost everyone is using magnesium ashwagandha. I like, but it depends on the individual as far as if we'll actually implement it or not. Um, anything else to add on sleep before we move on? Um, I mean, I have a chili pad and I love that thing. I know it's like more of an indulgent type of expense, but it's like full of soup. What? <laughs> Just dumb joke. Sorry. Like chili. Anyways, go on. Oh, chili. <laughs> no, I, I love that thing so much because, um, in the summer, especially it was just, it was too warm overnight 
for me and everyone else was fine. So that way you can set your own temperature on there. Um, we also do like a weighted blanket, eye mask, like make sure that you can't see any light, um, sound machine. Like you just really don't want any outside noises or lights or anything like that disturbing your sleep. Cool. Nick also does mouth tape. I was doing that and um, spooky. I was like waking up to rip it off because my my nose would get congested in the early morning. So I quit doing that. But I do think it it can be helpful if you're someone that tends yeah. to sleep with your mouth wide open. I just don't regularly. So um so next moving on to supplementation in general. Um, so you would just touch touched on the supplementation that can help improve your sleep. And um the first thing that I want to talk about is is supplementation just to make you as healthy as possible because healthy body is going to build muscle more efficiently. Um, if you are deficient in micronutrients, then, um, you're not going to be as healthy as you can be. You're not going to probably train as hard as you can or recover as, as well as you could. And so, um, just making sure that your health is good is the first priority. So, Magnesium is one that Jeremiah touched on. That is um, one that would qualify here too. Uh, magnesium is something that gets depleted through stress. And um, and if you are on like hormonal birth control, it gets depleted through birth control, things like that. Um, and it's just generally hard to get enough through food. So um, almost everybody, well, everybody, <laughs> uh, whenever we first get started, I will have them uh, include a magnesium glycinate supplement. And the reason that we go glycinate is because it is just a very absorbable form of magnesium. If you go to the grocery store and look at the shelving of supplements, it's most likely going to be magnesium oxide. And that is just not very absorbable. You're mostly just going to pass a lot of that right through your body. Um, so magnesium glycinate is a good one. There are other forms that are also good. Um, but for like recovery from training specifically and helping you downregulate to get good sleep, glycinate is a good one. Um, I also noticed that before I started taking magnesium, I had like restless legs where it would annoy me at night. I couldn't like, my legs just felt twitchy and magnesium has prevented that. Um, really? Katie's yeah. mom has a really better restless leg. I should tell her that. Oh yeah. It helps a lot, especially a lot of women will get it during pregnancy. And, um, that's when I noticed it get really bad. And then just implementing magnesium made that go away. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, the next one would be fish oil. So most people just, again, don't get enough through food sources. And so including fish oil is going to, um, help with all sorts of things. One being, um, uh, your insulin sensitivity. And so if you're more insulin sensitive, you're prone to building muscle a little bit easier. Um, also again, just keeps you healthier, like heart health, um, joint health. If you're healthier, you're going to build muscle more efficiently. Um, and then a multivitamin. So this is just making sure that you're covering all your bases. If you're low in something like zinc or vitamin D or, um, any of those micronutrients, you're just, again, not going to be as healthy as possible. And so therefore, um, you know, you could see down regulation in thyroid or, um, poorer recovery. And so it just kind of covers those bases, um, 
in general. I typically will go with one that's just fairly basic, but very high quality. Um, that way you get like highly absorbable B vitamins and cover your, your bases, but it's not anything like super intricate, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the life extension to a day is pretty much what I recommend everybody. And that's what I take. Yeah. Thorn life extension are typically the two that yeah. I'll recommend the most. Yeah. Um, and then moving beyond the just general health supplements, one that we kind of touched on before is ashwagandha. That one can be helpful, especially if you're somebody that's a little higher stress, it's an adaptogen. So it's not going to like tank your cortisol if you're already in a fairly decent spot, but it will help you adapt to stress a little bit better. And, you know, we touched on stress pretty thoroughly. That is really important when you're trying to build muscle. Um, for more performance type supplements, intra workout, which we covered already, um, I think are worthwhile supplements, protein powder, this one, I mean, it is technically a supplement, but it's like powdered food, right? So yeah. it it's going to help you get your protein intake up, um, in a really convenient way. And, um, can, is just like pretty, uh, versatile. So I use it a couple of times per day just because I like to use it in different ways and I get kind of sick of chewing on meat. <laughs> and so if you're similar, then protein powder can be really helpful. Um, and then last one that I'll touch on here is creatine. So creatine is, um, something that is found in red meat, but almost nobody is going to eat enough red meat to get enough creatine. And, um, when you saturate the muscles with creatine, um, which just means like you work your creatine levels up to a point, and then it doesn't really go beyond that. You hit that saturation point. When you hit that saturation point with creatine, um, you're able to use a little bit more ATP in your session in your set in, in the gym, which basically translates to, you might get an extra rep, or you might be able to add five or 10 pounds on a lift, which right. when you compound over time means that you build more muscle. Absolutely. Is there anything you'd add there on supplements? I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. Um, I found that most of these is interesting to like talk about supplementation because a lot of these, and again, it's not like the most important thing. We're never going to like push supplementation. Um, but it can be beneficial. And especially if you're someone who's not like nailing your food quality consistently, um, or like the magnesium, as you said, or if you're not eating like good sources, of your omega-3 fatty acids, which, which a lot of people aren't, the fish oil can be super helpful. It is always interesting. And this really ties into the next point very nicely, but how often it's like, and it's again, like the, there's a lot of like dogma and like fear mongering out there around like protein powder is going to wreck your kidneys, for example, or like creatine or even like multivitamins. And it's interesting, like how much, and again, like this is no fault of like that person. It's just like a funny, like how like much, uh, the, like, I, I don't know, like where it comes from. I feel like a lot of it, again, just like those things that everyone's heard, like aren't true, especially around supplements, but it's like no concerns about consuming alcohol, but like the, the supplementation can be like a scary thing or like, well, I don't want to have like have to use protein powder. Like, isn't it bad for me to do more than like a scoop of that at a day? And it's just always interesting, like the perception of that. And again, it's like no fault of anyone. It's just like very much like, uh, something that's, it's just funny. Like the differences in like, what's been like the general, like thought processes, but that's been yeah. put out there around these things. 
I'll usually see either that, like I don't want to have to rely on supplements or spend money on a multivitamin or the person comes in taking 50 different things <laughs> and they're just not very targeted. It's just like, I see this advertised or I've heard that this is good. And so we're just going to try everything all at once. And it's not specific to what you actually need. Yeah. That's a great point as well. Um, Cause I do see that pretty commonly also where it's just like a, sometimes it's like, and I know you probably see this more than I do. I, sometimes it might be with like working with like a functional health doctor um, or like a naturopath. And it's just like the most expensive supplements we could possibly <laughs> have. And you have like 50 of them yeah. and we've been on them for like a good year and a half. And it's like, damn, this is just so excessive. There's better quality for cheaper, but we don't need to do like nearly any of this. Or there's like a lot of like, shout out to the, the like, oh man, like uh, all the MLM like supplement oh, yeah. <laughs> brands out there that are like your plexus type stuff. Yeah. Which again, the quality is typically going to be pretty terrible. The price is going to be much higher. Um, where again, it's just kind of like a vague, like this is your gut health, your gut health drink or whatever. Um, sorry if <laughs> any plexus, uh, <laughs> anyone in in that whole realm. But anyways, um, yeah. Let's I guess we could go in towards like digestive improvement stuff here too, if you wanted to talk about that. But I think that's, that's a little bit beyond. Yeah. It, I, I'm very minimal with that stuff, but if you have somebody pushing food, sometimes they, they run into digestive health stuff, but yeah, I just, it made me think of that because like, I am so minimal with that. But when you look at like a generic, this is your gut health pill, it's so many different things in there yeah. in such small amounts. Anyway, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. So to wrap it up, let's talk about alcohol intake, which again is another one pretty similar to sleep where it's like, can't we just like find, can't you just like give me the hack so I don't have to actually change <laughs> this? Um, and I get it, right? Like I'm definitely not someone who's anti-alcohol. Um, I still like enjoy a glass of wine or two or like, I feel like, like my wedding, I think I had more alcohol than I've had in like the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. So again, I'm not opposed to it, but we also need to understand just the consequences of it and how it will impact us. Um, so first consuming alcohol will reduce muscle protein synthesis. So again, Andrea used the analogy of the brick wall, kind of thinking of the brick wall being our muscles, muscle protein synthesis as the brick wall, muscle protein breakdown takes away from that brick wall. And over the, over, over the course of the day or the week, et cetera, we want that wall to get bigger. So consuming alcohol will reduce muscle protein syn- synthesis, which in turn means it's going to impair your ability to, uh, recover and grow new muscle tissue. It's also going to have a negative impact on our sleep quality. Now, again, like sometimes people get this mixed up. Um, like if, uh, because a drink might, you might like feel relaxed when you have a drink and like, Oh, this actually helps me fall asleep. Um, but the actual quality of that sleep is going to be much worse. It's also going to, and then the combination of you being dehydrated, which again, it will dehydrate you. We talked about the importance of hydration earlier and your sleep being worse. Like if we have a training session the next day, our training performance isn't going to be as good. So as a result of that, again, that will have a negative impact on our muscle growth. And then it will also indirectly hurt recovery because we're typically, again, if you're someone who's listened to all this and all this is like applied to you, you're interested in what we're talking about here. You're probably 
replacing calories from carbs and fats, maybe protein, but probably carbs and fats with alcohol, right? But alcohol basically is going to be a fourth macro ethanol. Our body can't use ethanol to fuel recovery, hormone production, things of that nature, like it does carbs and fat. So again, that's going to indirectly hurt our recovery because basically we have less fuel coming in, even if our overall calorie intake is the same. Anything else to add on the alcohol front? And I mean, this isn't like a, again, like I'm never telling someone don't drink. I'm going to like talk through like, Hey, here's the pros. Here's the cons. There's again, like a lot of clients I work with, where it's like, I have my nightly glass of wine. And like, for me, that's not, a, that's a non-negotiable. And a lot of times it'll eventually turn into like, Hey, I've like realized like through our conversations around it, that's actually not as important to me as it used to be. I think I'm going to like pull it back to a couple times a week, for example. Right. Um, I notice I'm never like pushing anyone in one direction or the other. Again, I just want to educate on the consequences of it. And I noticed for most people, it like trends down pretty considerably over time. Um, anything else that you want to add on the alcohol side? I've noticed that same thing. And I'm the same way as you with that. I, I don't think I've ever said to somebody like, this is not good for you or like, um, really set like super hard, um, boundaries there or anything, but it, there is a question about it on the check-in form and it normally comes up organically. Like I had four glasses of wine and this is what I noticed and they'll kind of come to their own conclusion with it. And so then I'll just ask some questions around it. Like, okay, what do you wish you would have done there instead of, instead of the four glasses, if you, you know, weren't feeling great and they'll, go, okay, yeah, I think next time I'm going to have two instead of four. And it's funny, like how many people have ended up at some point in their coaching saying something like, I just feel so much better having less alcohol. And like, it's crazy how much better I'm sleeping and I don't miss it in these social situations. And I've never said, you need to cut this out. Right. They just end up coming to their own realization with it just from asking questions. Oh, no, same. And I feel like a lot of it too is we have a lot of conversations so much around like building awareness around food and uh, like the podcast where we talked about my own relationship with alcohol. Like uh, a lot of our conversations are around like, hey, in the situation where you ended up overeating, right? Like, let's look, talk through that. What caused that? And a lot of times I think people realize like, the emotional triggers or coping mechanisms they built around food and alcohol. And as a result of that, and like be more aware of that and like, what's a different or like healthier way I could deal with this. I think again, oftentimes that leads to it just like being something that you don't feel like you need as much. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that is all we have for y'all for today. As always, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next time.